everybody. How you doing? Welcome to episode number 118 of the John Riley Project. Today is Monday, March 9th, 2020, 2020. My, get my words and everything tangled up. But anyways, my, my fabulous guest, Pete Neal, is back. How you I'm doing? Back. Good. All right. Sporting the beard, you know? Kind yeah. of trying to look as ragamuffin as possible. You kind of got that that uh, that that building that warmth and comfort during the winter months. No, no, no. That's not <laughs> what it is at all. I'm coming up on summer. It'll come off in the summer probably. Mm-hmm. But I think I told you this once before that uh, six four, two hundred seventy five pounds. I'm an imposing character. Yes, you are. I intimidate people without even being knowledgeable about it. <laughs> I will say the first time I met you, I was like, whoa, who is this guy? <laughs> so what I discovered is the longer the hair, the more hippie I look, wrong uh-huh. term, wrong right. era. All right. But it diffuses that uh, people say, oh, it's just an old hippie. Right. So we're more likely to get engaged in conversation. Right. Than when I had short hair. Mm-hmm. And so it's long hair just because I love talking to people. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, we love talking to you here yeah. on the yeah. podcast. Well, the, the reason I'm here this time is primarily because of your John Riley Projects Insiders Group is yeah. what fired me up. Yeah, that's our little closed Facebook group. Right. And um, and by the way, everyone in the audience, you can subscribe. Just go to Facebook, John Riley Project Insiders Group. It's a closed Facebook group. Everyone's invited. I, you just have to answer a few questions, and I let everyone in. But I think we've got maybe, I don't know, like 40 people in there, something yeah. like that. And it's mostly kind of people that are like fans of the podcast that like to talk in more detail about episodes and things like that. So, yeah, everyone's welcome. Yep, yep. Well, it got my attention. You you spent some time. And probably the most poignant moment was a video that you posted, I believe, only there. I don't think it made it to a podcast. I think it was only on Facebook where you were talking from the cemetery of Virginia City. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. And this is recent. Yeah, it was about two, three weeks ago, yeah. But you had also done a podcast or or a video when you went to Butte? Yeah, um, I was in – well, no, I, I don't know if I did a podcast from Butte, but I was in Butte in September. Right. Uh, but I did two recordings on the Insiders Group on the trip I did recently to Tahoe and Reno. One was in Virginia City and the other one was in Ridgecrest. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, I've been following your ancestry search. Okay, good. Uh, because that's something that I did. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I finally put two and two together and figured out Riley, Riley. Irish. Yeah. So you've got Irish roots. Yep. Okay. 100%. Well, it's an interesting thing because I I was I started my ancestry search about 15 years ago. I had some spare time and I went digging. Mm-hmm. And I got so far into the details of going back and back in time and um Following census counts and church records, this is before the uh, LDS got involved in DNA searches now out there to help you find out where Mm -hmm. your roots are. But 
So it was a little bit of paperwork digging. And I came across um, the fact around 1750 in the UK, I have a relative by the name of David Neild, N-E-I-L-D. And that's, that's how you spell your name. That's how I spell my name. Yeah. My dad always told me this was an English name with the German invaders' influence. Oh, wow. That's and like Anglo-Saxon. He kinda. went back. He, yeah. he claimed to have gone back to the Anglo-Saxon times and found out that that's where the spelling of our name came from, was the E and the I got flipped because it had a German scan. <laughs> it's usually I before E except after C. Exactly. <laughs> and he was an English professor. Yeah. Okay. And yet he signed his name very proudly, N-E-I-L-D. And I, it was became a point of discussion. Yeah, sure. You know. So I found this David Neild in a church record multiple times. I, I, I watched his family appear. Mm-hmm. Okay. The final record, there were five children of the couple. They were physically living in the church, apparently. Wow. Right. Okay. He was a custodian for the church. That's what he did. He cleaned the church, apparently, from what I can gather. Right. All right. But what was strange about it, when you get into the script, the handwriting, the mm-hmm. log-keeping records, there was a spelling difference. The two youngest children and his name right. were spelled N-E-I-L-D. Okay. Okay. On the most current record. You go one record back, three children, all right? Mm -hmm. N-I-E-L-D. Ah. So the I and the E were reversed. Yeah. Okay. So go back to the other record. Sure enough, if you look at the handwriting, the first three were N-I-E. The last two were N-E-I. And his name changed at the same time. Hmm. I'm saying, what the hell's going on here? Yeah, right. Because if mean, it was one, maybe you can dismiss it as a mistake. As a mistake. But, but it was multiple children. Multiple children, multiple records. Oh, and multiple ten records. Years, ten years apart. Oh, okay. Then that's not a mistake. <laughs> no, it's not yeah. a mistake. Yeah. The third record, go back. Okay. No D. It's N-E-I-L. Stop. Just Neil, like <laughs> like Neil Diamond, but as a last name, right? As a last name. Yeah. I mean, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. So I had identified the church, obviously, all right, got the records, and I went back to the clergyman of the church currently mm-hmm. and said, you got any, this, this is very strange. And he says, well, you have to keep in mind that we were located on the river, all right, front, the, one of the major rivers leading out to Blackpool, which is where people escaping from Ireland would go, and then they'd work their way up the rivers. So this is on the western side of This England. is on the western side of the UK. I said, why are you telling me this? He says, there's a very good chance he was an Irish immigrant. Ah, and he was changing his name to fit in with the English community. Mm. So I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> is this, this is what people did? Right. 
And he says, oh, yeah, they were very much subjugated. There's no love lost between the Irish and the English. Well, of course, yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Even today. Right. <laughs> yeah. The, the hoopla that's going on. I mean, hell, Trump's uh, chief of staff just got sent to become the ambassador to Ireland. Yeah, Mick Mulvaney. Mick right. Mulvaney's yeah. going there. I mean, it's still going on. This is current <laughs> stuff. Oh, yeah, no doubt. All right. But I'm talking 15 years ago. Right. So I went, I was, ex- I was ecstatic over this. Mm-hmm. All right. Wow, we could be Irish. Okay. Well, hey, man, join the team, right? <laughs> All right. So I went to my mom. I said, look, look, this, this yeah. is great stuff. And she said, no, it's not. Stop. Oh. I said, what do you mean? This is she, your mother said this. This is my mother this. Okay. Not even her family. This is her husband's family that I'm tracing back. True. And this is still, this is in the 21st century, and she's telling you to stop. Right. I said, what do you mean? She says, we're not Irish. Mm. I said, but I got, we're not Irish. You stop right now. Uh, so my ancestry search stopped. So you respected years. your mother's wishes. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but there's a connection there. And when you're traveling, I didn't realize you'd followed it back to Ireland. Oh, yeah. So I've tell, been, me, I've, tell I've, me that part. So all, when I was growing up, you know, my name is John Patrick Riley. Okay, and so I was always told I'm 100 percent Irish and I believe that forever. And um, I always wanted to do ancestry research. I knew I had family that went back to Cork County in Ireland. I knew I had family that were in Butte. I could never figure out why in the hell people were in Butte, Montana. Um, And um, and then just about maybe five, six years ago, I I signed up with Ancestry.com. Good and, move. And they're very good. It was amazing the amount of records they had there. And, you know, census records, ship manifests, just everything. And so um, I went and figured out that, yeah, my family was largely from Kinsale, which is in okay. southern Ireland. And then they immigrated to the United States in the latter, latter part of the 19th century. And they made a beeline for Butte, Montana, where they worked in the mines. And they worked there for like 20, 30 years. And then they began slowly emigrating to San Francisco. And there was a very large Irish population or neighborhood in San Francisco where they were. Um, so uh, um, I had an opportunity to go back to Butte last September. My wife and I went and I went and drove around town, saw the houses where they lived because I got the addresses from the census. Um, and I went into their uh, their records. Um, they have like this archive. Uh, it's almost like a library, but they have all these land deeds and everything. So I went and did that, and um, it was fascinating. And I did a you know a tour of the mines and got a sense of what it was like to be a mine worker at the time. It was really you know very hard work. But I've since now gone on and, and did the DNA test where I spit into a tube and sent, mailed it away, and and you know uh, came back and yeah, hundred percent Irish. But I did discover, like you, that my it was my um, great grandfather was lived in England for a good period of time, and I was thinking, oh, maybe that story I was told, I'm not 100 percent Irish. But then I discovered that I was when I did the DNA test, and then I, the story I'd heard is is that he moved to Ireland, to England and then dropped the O, and went from O'Reilly just to Riley. See, to 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 blend in. They did the same thing. Yes. Um, and then, you know, there's all the other people will spell Riley, kind of like Neil, the E-I, the R-E-I-L-L-Y. Uh, but mine is made, I guess, more simplified, R-I-L-E-Y. 
And so um, I don't know if that was part of that transformation or not. I got to figure that out still. Fascinating stuff, isn't it? It's, it's unbelievable. And it's, it, to me, this is like the greatest like detective story you could ever do is a detective work on you mm-hmm. and to study what your DNA is all about and your roots and your history. And, and then being able to compile that story, not only is it so fulfilling for yourself, but you can share it with all your family members. So yeah, while I, while I was in Butte, I did a bunch of videos like in front of my great grandmother's house and at the gravesite and all these other things. And then I have like a special kind of private YouTube channel. Right. And then I link that private YouTube link into the notes that I file on Ancestry.com. So if other family members discover it, then they can click on the link and go to the video. Perfect. Yeah. So it's neat, you know, and I, I enjoy adding all the puzzle pieces and building the story. And, um, and it gives me an excuse for a road trip, you know, cause I've gone up to San Francisco and I've spent hours and hours and hours walking through Holy Cross cemetery up there. Um, and, uh, yeah, my, my next destination has to be Ireland. I've never gone. And so that's, that's the, that's the plan in the next couple of years. Cool. Cool. You know, the current generation, uh, when Wendy and I got married, mm-hmm. all right, my name was N E I L D, right? Right. And she goes, that's right smack dab in the middle of the whole lineup. I mean, if they call you or organize you alphabetically, you're never first. Either direction that people go. Yeah. Her name was Zwicker. Oh, she's always at the end. She's always at the end. Yeah. She says, I'm going to keep my last name. I said, I got no problem with that. Good for you. Yeah. All right. Timber, my daughter, kept the last name Zwicker. Oh, she did? Yeah. The boys, Neil. Okay, nice. Zwicker. Did did you make that decision or your children? Hell no. Do I make decisions? (laughs) No. No. Well, what's on their birth certificate? Timber's worker, Jesse Summit Neal. Summit was from my grandfather. Okay. That's actually, it's spelled in the, on the birth certificate as S-U-M-M-I-T. Okay. All right. But it's really a contraction from my grandfather. He was very, very, lived in the UK all his life. Okay. No worker. Right. Not very well educated. Mm-hmm. And there was a contraction of words that he spoke that is in my memory constantly. Some of that <laughs> became re- summit. All right, this reminds so- me of Jackie Gleason on the Smokey and the Bandit. We would go, some bitch. <laughs> right. <laughs> Same thing. Summit. Right. Jesse Summit Neal. And what, it stands for some of? Some of that. Some of that. Which is a reminder to me about my grandfather. Some of that is Summit. Jesse. Okay. okay the first name. My father's name was Albert. My grandfather's name was was Jim. Jim a Jesse. He, his father's name was Jesse. Yeah. They never called him Jim. Just straight Jim. It was Jim a Jesse. Interesting. All right. So that would... That... In, Influenced me tremendously. So yeah. my firstborn male child, Jesse, from the Jim of Jesse, yeah, Summit, and then Neil. I mean, that's that's my family. That's right. cool. That that gives like a very 
There's a purpose yeah. to every word in there. Purpose to that. Every, every That's beautiful. Step of the way. Now, my daughter, when she got married, she had Zwicker, her husband, Hamilton. Okay. All right. So, what? <laughs> this is going to drive anybody that's searching the ancestry a hundred years from now is oh, going to drive them <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Their name got contracted to Zwickleton. Interesting. It's the com- it's the combination of Zwicker and Hamilton. They had their name changed to Zwickleton. Zwickleton. <laughs> What's the other alternative? Is it like Hamilton. <laughs> but it's this is great. I mean. 300 years from now, people searching back answers, there's a story there. Yeah. And as long as that story is captured and and preserved there you go. and passed along through the family history, then it becomes an amazing story. Yeah. Because it tells, oh, yeah, that's beautiful. All right. Wow. wow. So yep. you've got lots of name changes for a variety of reasons. Right. So there's a very good chance that N-E-I-L-D was, go back one step, was N-I-E-L. Mm-hmm. All right. He changed the spe- order of the E and the I, and he added on the D. Right. Okay. He did that. David Neal did that. Because I'm searching the next step. Now that my mom's passed... Yeah, you're gonna cross that line. I may, I may go there, <laughs> or I may leave it to my kids. Okay, to go and make the connection to find out if we are from the O'Neill clan. Yeah, of Northern Ireland. Yeah. All right. So then we get into the stratification issues, and mm-hmm. I think you're probably aware of this too. That I think I've even mentioned this on a prior story at some point in time or another. My dad came to the Canada with the Episcopal Church. They sent him to become a clergyman, and they had moved him to Canada. But he took that opportunity to escape being trapped as a mill worker in the UK. Mm. There was no way, as despite how well educated he became, because his mother and father were mill workers, so was he. Yeah. He was petrified of that. Well, when you say stratification, it's almost like, <laughs> like the caste system in India or something, right? Where you kind of pigeonholed and you become that and you can't escape it. Absolutely. So mm. coming to Canada and eventually the United States allowed him to do that was to break through and become in the clergy. Interesting. And I just recently found out, I mean, <sighs> the mansions in Newport, the Episcopal Church owned one of those. And I got pulled out of St. Dunstan's Boys School. Oh, I remember this story. Okay. Right. To the public school system. Mm-hmm. So my dad could win points with the church and potentially become the clergyman for the Newport Church, mm. where he would be allowed to live in the Newport mansion. Ah. Never happened. Okay. He's trying to get but his he made duck, a move. Again, his ducks in a row. <laughs> he's getting, getting his ducks in a row. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is just a recent story that I learned of. I didn't know this before I started. That's great. Into it. Yeah. So, Those family stories are fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
Why did I bring this up? I brought this up. I wanted to talk to you because you started to talk about ancestry. Yeah. You and I have made plans, but it didn't have such a high priority. Mm-hmm. Okay. Until this most recent podcast where you spent 15, 20 minutes at the end talking about nature versus nurture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was in the, yeah, my episode 117 a couple of days ago. Yeah, yeah that that put coals on the fire, John, oh, I got to tell you. <laughs> I knew it was a controversial topic, right. but it, it, I felt it necessary to speak about. So the concept of family issues is interesting and an ancestral thing. And I've got clear evidence on a completely unrelated path that comes back to this. Okay. You want to take that adventure? Let's go. All right. First, I want you to know that I'm your friend. I know you are. Okay. I enjoy doing these podcasts. And I stumbled across something the other day, and I said, John needs this. Okay. Well, I need a lot of things. So (laughs) from me to you. Uh Uh-huh. I was walking through Walmart. Look at that. <laughs> Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, man. Here we go. Here we go. This might get a little thorny, but <laughs> okay. at least you get a comfortable pillow now to soak up all the sore spots when oh. we get done. Oh, no. Okay. So I need it for protection, I think. Well, first of all, thank you. Sure. This is cool. Sure. This is great. It's a Walmart special. Don't get carried away. Okay. It is made in the USA, though. Really? It says so. There's two tags on okay. it. Okay. So yeah, they're, it is. they're in denial about something, I'm sure. Hecho in USA. <laughs> <laughs> Los Estados Unidos. No, yeah, it made in USA. I mean, which is amazing. You think it would be made in Asia. But it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And here we go. Okay. <clears throat> so, first of all, the ancestry thing. Yeah. You got me fired up when you started going about your ancestry and putting it on. Yeah. Well, I hope to do a lot more of this. That's yeah. why I, when you came to me about talking to ancestry, I was like, yeah, right on. Because this is a great topic. I think it's very interesting. So I got studying. I, I, I got a eureka moment hit. Oh, nice. All right. Okay. I'm following my son on a ski trip. He's teaching over in the Czech Republic. You know, he's a teacher. Yeah. So their version of. The spring break thing is to take the kids skiing. Okay. So I'm following him. This, this is Nick. This is Nick. He's been on your podcast. Just B. Just B. Yeah. He was a guest on the podcast, uh, I don't know, like two, three months ago, right? Yeah. yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah. He's a good kid. So I'm following him. Yeah. All right. At the same time, oh, I was, at the same time, I'm following my sister and she's traveling around. For, she went to Daytona International Raceway. Daytona? Yeah. Okay. And she didn't invite you? No. (laughs) No. I'm really... But I have to live vicariously. And I can. All right? She took a tour of Daytona International Speedway, and I'm following her on Track My Location on Google. Oh, beautiful. All right? So I I followed her. She got to stand on their 31-degree bank turn. Oh, wow. All right? It's impressive. So I'm living vicariously at the moment. My son's in the Alps. Okay. My sister's in Daytona. Right. I'm sitting in Poway on my computer watching these two things. Good for you. 
All right. I'm living vicariously through two other people. Right. And it dawned on me. My ancestors didn't have this opportunity. Oh, God. Yeah, no way. All right. There was no way in hell the parents of the people who left Ireland and the UK, in my case, from east to west, could stay in touch that way. They were gone. Right. You Uh, didn't hear the story until five, six years later. Well, fortunately, I got evidence. In my ancestry search, I came across letters written by William and Thomas Lawson. Now, this is on my mother's side. Okay. No issues with the Irish. Okay, that whole part of it we could set aside. So these are all legit British. British. All right. East coast of England. Okay, so near London, sort of. Further north. Okay. All right. And I got letters. And you're going to, on the video version of this, I hope John is going to be, I sent him pictures of this, but there's a picture of a letter. Can you make anything out on that? Oh, God, no. This is like a formal cursive, but it's a blur. It's a blur. Yeah. It's really hard to make out. I can kind of show this to the camera up here if I can. Yeah. And uh, uh, there it goes. All right. So I I worked on that letter. Mm -hmm. I enhanced it as best I could. Now you can start to make out the words. Yeah, this is a little easier to read. Again, I'll try to show this as well if I can. I don't know how legible that is on the camera, but now I can start to make this out. And actually, the coloring, this looks like the, the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> okay. 1853. No, 1847. So that's the same as this? It's just yes. enhanced? Yeah. It's the same letter. So it looks like you zoomed in and probably smoothed out Changed some of the colors a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's tremendously more read- readable here. All right. So then I change that over. Right, let's see the right one. I don't think I have a copy of that one. No, I don't. But where? How did you get in? in, in how did you get the original letter? They were my mom's stuff. Like in her records, that she had cases Just of things tucked away. Mm-hmm. This is when I was doing the ancestry search, and she was more than willing to provide me with. Okay. These things. Okay, because she knew as I was digging into it. Okay. So it was through these letters I, I, I also met another cousin, Rosie Bauer, who lives in the UK. Adrian and Rosie Bauer came to San Diego to Poway to see me because they knew I had these letters. Oh, wow. Okay. They had just been to – can you make out that word there at the top? That tells tells you where the letter's written. It's hard, huh? I I think I can see like an. How about N. now? Can you make that? Nukuhuiva? Nukuhuiva? Yeah. Am I yeah. saying that right? Yes. No. Yeah. December eleventh, eighteen forty-seven. Wow. So <laughs> okay. where, what's Nukuhuiva? It's the town on the island of Opau. Okay. Uh, in the Marquesas, which is just east of Tahiti. Holy moly. Okay, so. <laughs> so this is west, folks. 
<laughs> yeah. This is west. It's so far west, it's east. <laughs> it's east. <laughs> it's over on the other side of the International Dateline. Yeah. All right. So now, hold me. How did you connect with the the Bowers? Is that what mm-hmm. their last name is? That are they found out you had these letters, but how did you connect with them? Through digging into the ancestry and following people back, I ran across them. They ran across me. They knew ah. I was digging into it, and they said you wouldn't happen. And yes, we, we did. So cool. See, that's this is the greatest thing about ancestry research is you go on these adventures and you meet people and yeah. have common interests. This is fabulous. Let's stick with it. That's one aspect. Yeah, uh, I I challenge you to try reading either one of those. Well, okay, but you can, you can, this one here looks like the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. You can't make it up. Not at all. So with great effort, we dug into it. Okay. Let, let me read you the first sentence. Mm-hmm. Dear parents, see if you can follow me I, I am. Here. I'm following the bouncing ball. Dear parents, by the various changes of an unforeseen providence I have, and he crosses that out, my life has been amongst the heathen for the last three and a half, and when it will end, he by whom I live, move, and have my being can alone determine. You understand any of that? So the heathen, I assume, are the natives on those islands, right? Okay, let's, let's like bring this method of communication. This is how people wrote letters in 1847. Well, they write like poets. <laughs> All right. So now, up to the current language. Oh, you translated into modern-day English. Dear parents, through a series of fateful circumstances, I have ended up living out here in the South Pacific surrounded by wild natives. Aha, yes. When I'll get out of here and how this will end, I have no idea. Living in paradise is great, but not without a huge price, because if you get hurt or injured, you're pretty much screwed. <laughs> All right? I went a little far. Yeah, yeah. All right? But 1847. We're coming up on 2047 shortly. How? Far have we changed since 1847 method of communication? Oh well, to the day. The I mean, you you can look at so many charts, you know, that trace human human um, history, whether it's lifespan, um, per capita income, etc., mm-hmm. and it's like flat for centuries, for millennia. And then you get into like the 19th century and everything goes through the roof like a skyrocket. It, you know, we're we generating more wealth. We're living longer. We have more technology. The human condition has flourished. But it doesn't, it's not that long ago when we were living like a, um, I'm not going to say a prehistoric life, but a very challenging life, right? Yeah. This is amazing. Catch, catch the innuendos here. He says, life has been amongst the heathen. Right, which is the natives. The, the, the non-Christians. Ah, there we go. Yeah. All right. What gives him the right <laughs> to refer to them as heathen? Look at the shirt I'm wearing. Yeah, yeah. I was going to connect that because, yeah. American Original Homeland Security, fighting terrorism since 1492. 
Who are they? Native Americans. Native Americans. The English in their the English Empire in their expansionism. All right. They went around the world. Mm -hmm. William and Thomas Lawson were not military people. Their father was a sea captain. They got their lifestyle from their father. Mm. They were sailing around the world because they were entitled. Mm. Yeah, they had the wealth and the means. The world belonged to them. Ah, uh, okay. I hear you there. Yeah, that's different. Your father, this is where I, yeah. I, I locked in and locked on and tracking because when you were describing your ancestors just now, yeah. when you were describing your ancestors' trips from Ireland to the United States to yeah. compute, how many times the word work was mentioned? Quite a bit, yeah. Seven they, times. They worked in the mines. They yeah. worked their way. That's right. Around them. My relatives went to take away. <laughs> right. All right. Mm -hmm. My dad escaped that. Mm -hmm. All right. 150 years. All right. To where we are now. All right. We got to change our thinking. All right. When I translated that by the various changes of an unforeseen providence, through a series of fateful circumstances. Right, right. Did you catch the innuendo? Yeah. All right. Various changes of unforeseen providence. Well, providence is like uh, from God, right? Yes. Yeah. So, All right. so, so unforeseen providence meaning a something that you didn't intend that God was actually going to do, but suddenly you had a new circumstance to deal with, right? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So mm -hmm. it's the whole mentality, all right, that I found refreshing in your trips talking about your ancestors because you approach it very much from what I always associate with the Irish, is very hardworking, giving people. Let me make a living. Let me have some place to live. Let me live comfortably, but I'll work my ass off for the mm -hmm. betterment of the society. Mm -hmm. that, that's true in my case. Yeah, for sure. These letters are written with take. He spends a lot of time in the South Sea Islands trying to establish sandalwood. It grows naturally there. Mm. Very valuable in the UK. Yeah. Hugely marked up in Europe. Mm -hmm. Okay. He was looking to make a fortune by taking what was growing in the Marquesas mm -hmm. and taking it to the UK. There are letters detailing business plans with his father, arranging for shipping for stuff. All right. There's another example. Did your relatives get involved in our gold rush at all? To the best of my knowledge, mine did not. Uh, mine, because mine didn't come to America until 1860, 70, 80. Mm -hmm. The gold rush was, well, the but 49ers, you had, right? You had relatives... Up near Paradise, didn't you? Yeah. But but the, my relatives in Paradise originally lived in San Francisco. Okay. So they went. And, and, okay. then, and then these are their offspring that lived in the Bay Area. And then as we got into like the 1980s and 90s and real estate prices became so expensive, mm -hmm. then some of them left 
and went to um, yeah, went to Paradise, went to um, Orville, went to Marysville, up that way. There's a certain section of my family that did. One of the letters, and I don't. I've got this version. 9th of March, 1853. Okay. So that's definitely... Six years after the 1847 one. Okay. So in 1847, then they're they're in the South Pacific. He's in the South Pacific. Okay. It's the address he gives there. Frenchtown, California. Yeah, that's right up there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Read the middle paragraph here. We came out at the small end of the horn, as he is saying, and I have been successful in my summer's work. I should have gone to Australia last fall, but I must content myself by staying here a while longer. I am in a good claim at present. Okay. I discovered it two months ago in a ravine about a half mile long with a great descent. It empties itself into the last branch of the west branch of the Feather River. A more picturesque place you could not perceive. The mountains rise on each side for a thousand feet, all covered with gigantic pines, oaks, and etc. to their summit. At the claims, there is a flat about a half acre. Hmm. I highlighted that. It's down the hill from Paradise, California. Mm hmm. It's where my relative's gold claim was. Mm hmm. It's now underneath Lake Oroville. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because the ravines were a thousand feet on either side, and the fires last year wiped out the record of the claim. Ah, uh, the plane place burned to the ground. Ah, uh, so there is no more document saying. But your family and my family could have crossed paths. They could have, yeah, they, yeah, they could have. You know, maybe slightly different time. Um, just, just a couple of crazy tangents on this. First of all. What is a claim? I mean, is is a claim where you own the property or you just have a temporary right to the property? Temporary rights to the property. Okay. And then everything directly underneath. Um, but back then, I wonder who actually owned the property. Maybe it was unowned or? I believe it was unowned at the time. Um, the paperwork that, w that Rosie and Adrian Bauer saw in Paradise when they went to the office, the museum yeah. there, they dug through the records. They found his claim. Okay. okay. So we didn't have to go off, off of my evidence, okay? But hopefully they have a copy of it or something. She, she does. She oh, has that's a copy good. Of it. But the original is gone. Wow. All right. As of the fire of last year. So, um, yeah, it's underwater, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of my uh, childhood friends, um, his whole home burnt to the ground in that fire in paradise. And they're just starting to rebuild now. Wow. So they've been literally like living in a motorhome for a while and kind of vagabonds for a Horrible. period of time. It's been tough. Um, the other thing is and just to share kind of another crazy tangent. Like if you go to Lake Orville and then go east up into the mountains, I think Paradise is more like northeast. Right. But if you go more due east, there's a town not called Frenchtown, but called Forbes Town. Mm -hmm. And my cousins used to own the the general store, post office, and gas station. It was like all one little facility. Really? And I spent a summer up there when I was 11 years old. And that's a beautiful area. Down the way to Tahoe. Tahoe. Sounds like Tahoe, isn't it? No, it's north. It's north, it's of, north of Tahoe. Of yeah, and it's inland, you know, so it's it's in the, in the okay. Sierra foothills, essentially. 
But that whole area is just gorgeous. Um, and uh, it's neat that your family was there, but, you know, 100 just years before mine. Yeah, just temporarily. Yeah. 100 years difference? Well, All right, so you're talking 50s. And later, really. I mean, I was, I was, I spent the summer there in the late seventies. Okay. When I was eleven years old. All right. So seventy. Um, but like I said, you know, my my family, all of them, lived in Ireland until the late eighteen hundreds. Okay. Oh. So and then they came to America eighteen sixty, seventy, eighty, something like that. And then different parts of the tree, different times. Then they go to Butte, and then in the early nineteen hundreds, like nineteen ten, nineteen twenty, they come to San Francisco. And live in the Irish neighborhoods of the city of San Francisco, mm-hmm. which uh, we, they then called Eureka Valley. Now it's really the Castro, which is like a big gay community. Uh, but my family had a big home on the corner of Liberty and Castro. Um, and at any rate, uh, lived in the city until around the 1960s. Okay. And then that's when a lot of them, you know, you can call it white flight. You could call it the growth of suburbs. But they began moving down the peninsula and other parts of San Francisco. But I still have um, relatives that still live in the city. But then as we got, like I said, as we got later on and real estate became so expensive, a lot of my cousins just couldn't afford to live there anymore. And then they moved to Paradise, to Forbes Town, to Marysville. You know, so. So, uh, yeah, but like it's over a hundred years difference in time. Okay. But maybe, I, I maybe it, walk the same paths. How's that? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, don't, I was swimming in Lake Orville. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a good water skiing yeah. place yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Uh, let's see what he says here. Uh, we have gotten in good working order. If it continues to pay as well as it's done, we shall do well. The first pan of earth I washed from the rock, I got $18 in coarse, smooth gold. The largest piece we found weighed $159 solid gold. We sold it for $20 an ounce. If we can make $1,000 by next fall, I shall go to the Australia. If we can't make... A thousand by next fall, I shall go to Australia mines. And this is in eighteen fifty three. Eighteen fifty three. So I mean, just order. I mean, a thousand dollars then has got to be worth how much now? God, I, I don't know. <laughs> Millions. Yeah, yeah, like at least fifty grand, yeah. right? Now I don't have a copy of the letter, but Rosie and uh, Adrian have a copy of the letter where he go has gone back to the Marquesas. Okay. Uh huh. Uh, is pursuing the sandalwood because the gold thing didn't work out because he had come across a large vein of gold. The local assayer would not cash him out because they just didn't have the resources. Mm. He had to go to San Francisco to cash out this rock ah, that okay. unearthed. Okay. And it was he and his brother at that point. It was not William by himself. Thomas was there with him. And so I don't know the details of which one went into the assayer's office to exchange the gold for cash, but they got robbed. Oh, I would imagine it happened a lot back then. Yeah. Because people were rolling in and out with lots of resources. So there they were in San Francisco with no money. They couldn't afford to go back. To the, They couldn't even afford to go back to the claim. They just it was too much. They didn't have any money. So what do they do, I wonder? They got another ship and they went back to the Marquesas. Well, the brother Thomas went to China, went to Shanghai, okay. 
And uh, it's not like you can like you know call the, your family in the Brit in UK and say, "Hey, wire some money or something." <laughs> They're on their own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> three years between letters. Three four years between letters. Wow. And he complains about it too. I'm sure he does. One of the latter ones gets rather touching. He he asks them, "I hope you're in good health. You're getting on in years." Okay. Mm-hmm. If you are not in good health, please send me a note and mm-hmm. I will come home to take care of you. You know. But he never did. He died in the Marquesas. Wow. So but, well his brother got shipwrecked and died in the shipwreck. Ooh. That'd be a tough way to go. There was a point of land that got named after him. It's it's Thomas Lawson Reef. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, now, is Marquesas, M-A-R-K-A-R-Q-U-E-S-A-S. Ah, uh, so it's like French. That makes sense because it's near Tahiti. And it's very French. Yeah. Very French. There's a there's a uh, major league ball player. His name is Nick Marquesas. And, but it's M-A-R-K-A-S-I-S, if I recall. I suspect that probably happened to Wendy's parents. When I did the ancestry search, I, w- I started to dig into hers. And I came across uh, I, the shipping, you know, New York City coming yeah. in through there, and their name was Astuni. And it suddenly dawned on me: there's a town in Italy called Astuni. Uh-huh. <laughs> they got a. They took a last name coming into the United States of Astuni because some clerk made their oh, entry. Yeah. Wrong. That, that happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but you know it's interesting too because like when you were talking about the an- ancestry records of Neild and some children were spelled one way, some the other way. You know the people that write these records down. I mean, they're not rocket scientists. They make mistakes. Yeah. And I I had to go through and I discovered a mistake in a census record from my grandmother, and it threw me off in my in my research. But then I eventually threw, yeah. um, you know, figured out that it was a mistake. You know. Um, so even the people that were the record checkers, when people landed at Ellis Island, you know, they probably were given, they probably said their last name and it was probably so complicated. You know, the American guy at Ellis Island was, what the hell, what city are you from? You know, that's the, that's your last name. That's your last name. And then the person probably figured maybe this is like, oh, I'm an American now and I have a new name. So maybe they embraced it. God only knows. God only knows. Oh, yeah. Wow. Compare that to today. <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. Well, now, you you know, people are very proud of their last name, and they wouldn't change it come hell or high water. Yep. And what's going to happen to that ship that just docked in Oakland today? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've got current affairs going on that's just melting our minds. Yeah. Well, they, they said, you know, someone, I, I saw someone make a little snarky comment. Like, why are they putting the ship in Oakland rather than San Francisco? You know, that it's, you know, assuming it was some racially, um, you know, a motivated reason because of the black population in Oakland. People are saying, well, yeah, you want to unload a bunch of coronavirus infected people at Pier 39 and, you know, in the city. Oh I guess. God. But, in you know, with all the tourists. But um, but I was told that in Oakland. They can better. They have they have more land and more opportunity to yeah. to contain the situation. Right, and that made, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. No, I I I spent a lot of time in Oakland, and it's it's the better place. It's not yeah. as compact. 
It's a much better, you know, cargo loading and unloading. So, yeah, they have the facility they were showing, to do it right. Uh, they were showing videos this morning of the ship coming in and that where they're tying up. I mean, there ain't nothing. There. Oh, yeah. they've, cl- they've cleared everything <laughs> out because they know the eyes of the nation are going to well, be on this. Yeah, think about what those people are going through because it's one thing to be quarantined on a ship, but I think they're quarantined in their cabin. And those exactly. cabins are tiny. Can you imagine being in there? Like, oh my God! You know, one t- we one day and I took several cruises, and one of them we made the fateful mistake of watching. Let's make this as cheap as possible. We're only going down south of the border; it's not yeah. that far. So we took one of the inner cabins without the balcony. Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, we we these did two that. tables are larger than that room. Yes. <laughs> well, that's what we did because I've been on two cruises. Our first one we did in one of those little in, and we had our two children who at the time were like eight and six or nine and seven. And we were okay, but I mean, God, if we were in there for weeks at a time, we would go on bananas. Yeah. Um, and the second cruise, we got two rooms, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, I always go for the balcony now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I mean, it's a crazy tangent, but I remember when I was growing up, I was said to myself, not in a million years would I ever want to go on a cruise, ask a bunch of old people. And, and I finally, you know, we decided to try one. He went to the Alaska one. It was awesome. I had a great time, man. And you know, all these little ports of call. And while you're on the ship, you know, you, you get some adult beverages and playing little trivia games in the bar. And I, we had a fun time. I, I enjoyed. I, it. I now have a good time. My first cruise was not so good. Really? Yeah. You got to remember that from my background, it's a target. Oh, oh, because there's a submarine. I spent every time on the railing out there looking. There's a periscope out there. I know there's a periscope out there. Yeah. <laughs> and someone's going to shoot a missile like a torpedo I'll, at you, I'll right? tell you a short story. We were in, off the coast of Italy. We're headed towards uh, Naples and uh, came across the, the radio, you know, the headset. So I make a careful sweep around. We're coming to periscope depth. And so that lets you know we're coming to the surface. Yeah. Okay. So we got to look out for close aboard shipping that we've probably been blowing off because we're submerged. Mm-hmm. So a little slower, turning the wheel, listening, listening, listening. Ah, shit. I got to call it. You know, I got a possible warship at 175 degrees. Yeah. I did. I called it what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Two screws, fairly slow. I, I got to call it. It's a possible warship. Okay. All hands on deck, right? So we come up to periscope depth, and, you know, and I'm sitting there waiting for him to come back to me and let me know. Yeah. About three minutes later, he says, Sonar, he says, your possible warship is a white, brightly lit, ocean liner <laughs> I said good let's shoot him sink him and screw up their vacation too you know? <laughs> so yeah my first time on a cruise ship I'm going there's a, sub- there's a sonar guy out there right now that's going ape because yeah. I sound like a warship <laughs> yeah well if, if you've been through that it's got to be on your mind the whole time <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but Three or four cruises later, I was into enjoying myself and not paying attention to used to fish. 
You know, they're also remarkably affordable compared to other types of vacations. You know, there are some people that live aboard those things with their Social Security income. They live on cruise ships. Wow. You can afford to do it. You got doctors right there. Yeah. All right. You got your meals prepared. Yeah. Get your room. You can go out and talk to people. It's a wonderful <laughs> retirement. <laughs> you can see the world. Something to think about. Yeah, actually, it's not a bad idea. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we're way off a topic. Okay. Okay. So, Irish. Yeah. Givers. Yes. English. Takers. Okay. All right. That's probably the fundamental difference between those two people that is long-lasting and it's so damn nurtured, it is now nature. Interesting. Okay. I, I can see a little bit of that. Sure. All right. It is natural for the English. Why do you think Brexit didn't work? For the UK, could it possibly have been their attitude towards the world? Well, why not? Why Brexit didn't? Why why the European Union didn't work for the British? Exactly. Right? Um, Brexit. Yeah. So while Brexit did work, yeah. Um, yeah, could be. Yeah, for sure, could be. But I know a lot of that was some, like a lot of the nationalist tendencies of. You know, letting you know, open immigration and a lot of that was objectionable to certain people in England. That was okay. part of the reason. Pride in their culture, pride in their currency. So extending the thinking. Okay. You got um very turned on by Super Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was a big day. We did a one-hour podcast on the results alone. Uh-huh. All right. You ended it with a little statement about voting. Um. Yeah, part of it. I mentioned it there, and I also mentioned voting when I talked about my ballot. I did a podcast on how I was filling out my ballot. Yeah, I got very angry. <laughs> I saw some of your Facebook posts about it. I know you're upset, so tell me. Lay it on the line. We're in a very different country here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Part of your Irish was showing through. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. All right. Everybody says, I've got a right to vote. Mm -hmm. Wrong wording. Okay. We have an obligation to vote. This is the first real true where people can actually participate and they should participate in great numbers yeah sadly they don't i mean what was the the voter participation on super tuesday in san diego county if i recall was like 26 percent or something like that wasn't it yep you know it was really just shockingly low yeah you said you're not too much in favor of mr trump no no i'm not his popularity or the people that agree with him is typically in the low 40 percentile. Something like that. Yeah, that's that's true. It's been that way since he was elected president. Yeah, 41, 43, occasionally dips into the high 30s and back up into the low 40s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. He's the most consistently 40% approval rating president we've had since Eisenhower. Right. doesn't matter what he says or what he does or how inconsistent his own statements are mm-hmm. compared to what he said just the day before. Mm-hmm. It stays steady. How do you explain everybody's jumping on the Democrats? Right. And it's not the Democrats. It's the, I, I believe that people have become very dissatisfied with how we vote in our leaders. And I mm-hmm. think the biggest fault is people don't vote. Well, clearly people don't vote. All right. Uh, you know, a very s- small percentage of people vote, right? Uh, who do you like? I mean, it always comes down. I hear these people talking. Who do you like? Who do you don't like? Who are you, you going to vote for? All this polling action, which obfuscates what's really taking place. Um, I think polls are very misleading. All right. Mm-hmm. They get a general drift and they'll go off on a tangent. But there's a there's an internet service um, that averages it all together, and I've been watching very closely because they take the polls and they pull the polls. Right. <laughs> all right. So, uh, I have my phone. Is it real it. clear politics? No, because they average the polls. Yeah. No, it's five thirty eight. Oh yeah, that's Nate Silver. Yeah, he does a pretty good job. He does he's a fairly the, good job. He's not perfect. He's had failings, but overall, he's pretty yeah. accurate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've watched his numbers pretty closely because it, it seems to track with what I believe is taking place yeah. in the country is we've got some huge divisions and you telling people to vote or not to vote got me very upset. Okay. Well, <laughs> do you want like, can I explain it? Sure. Okay. So I strongly believe in voting. Okay. I always vote. And I always felt that way. Okay. So I always, and I enjoy going, I don't even vote by mail. I like the process of walking up to the polling station and voting. Yeah. Well, I should show you my phone. I, put, I do the same thing. I put mine on the back of the phone and it lasts for about a month and then I got to finally get rid of it. Right, right. So I love voting. I'm the same way. And, but I'm also rational about it. I understand that my single vote is not going to tip the scale one way or the other. How do you know that? Well, has it ever happened? Has this come down to a tie and then one person is the tiebreaker? So I understand that. I also know... But you're one of thousands, you know. I understand that. Okay. I also know that in the state of California, when it comes to voting for president with the electoral college and the winner take all in California, it doesn't matter what I do. If I vote for... You know, the Republican, the Democrat, a third party, I write in Mickey Mouse, the Democrat is going to get 100 percent of the Electoral College votes. So while I enjoy voting, I enjoy participating. And yet to a great degree, I see it as an exercise of my right and in some ways a duty. In in many ways, I see it as an expression of my values. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. But sometimes when you're looking at the ballot. And you're presented with two terrible choices. And I just refuse to vote for either one of the bad choices. See, that's where we disagree. No, no, but let me explain further. So some people say, well, you've got to pick the lesser of evils. And I say, well, Frank, if, uh, if you have to choose the lesser of evils, you're picking evil. 
if you if you have to pick amongst two terrible candidates that do not in any shape or form reflect your own values, then you're compromising your principles and voting for something that you don't agree with. And at the same time, by putting your vote in their in their favor, you're essentially encouraging that. You're encouraging the the policies or the bad behavior of those candidates or those parties. So what I will do, I will always attempt to make the right choice that reflects how I what I believe, even if I know the person I'm voting for has no chance in the world. Even even if I and they're on the ballot, mm-hmm. um, I will still vote for them because I see it as an expression of my values. But if I'm faced with two choices or three choices or whatever, I will. I will either um, write in someone that is reflective of who I believe, I will vote for a third party, or I will not vote at all. And in this presidential race, um, in the primary in California, I'm a no party preference voter. So I don't get the Republican ballot. I could have requested the Democratic ballot, but I don't know. I mean, of all the candidates on that list... None of them I would have supported in the general election. Okay, you got to clear. And, and so, that. so I figured, well, if I'm not going to support, you know, you know, whoever, Bernie or Warren or whoever, if I wouldn't have supported them in the general, then why would I support them in the primary? Um, and then uh, the only one that I would have possibly considered was Yang, Andrew Yang, and he had already dropped out. So I figured. I'm not going to vote for the Democratic nominee. I'm not going to vote. I can't vote for the Republican nominee. If I could, I would have voted for Bill Weld, who is more closely aligned with how, what I believe. But I'm not a Republican. Therefore, I couldn't vote on the Republican ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will I, – I left – this is the first time I've ever done that where I've left the presidential race blank because in the past I was – you know, in some cases I was a member of a third party and I would pick a third party candidate. OK. Here's, here's the position that I think about. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think about why we have the Electoral College. Why do we have this delegate mm-hmm. establishment thing going? And to my understanding, this is because the metropolitan areas would have too much control over the federal government or the state government in some situations. <laughs> if that's all that if, – if it came down to – popular vote only. All right. There's large expanses of territory in this country where people don't feel represented at all by the popular vote. We're we're crazy people in the city. We really are, in their opinion. So when I come to time to vote and I'm looking at the ballot, and I can't find anybody that satisfies my desires. Mm-hmm. I then look at it from another point of view. What if I had a farm of 5,000 acres of corn? Mm-hmm. All right. Is there anybody on this ballot that satisfies that person? Okay. So right. let me counter that. What if there was a candidate? They did satisfy the corn farmer, mm-hmm. but they satisfied the corn farmer by giving them huge subsidies of cash, 
okay, which you object to in principle because you think that's a very immoral policy Mm -hmm. to take from some of these people and give to the farmers, then what would you do? I look at that very carefully because there are situations where we, as the controlling metropolitan areas, have forced that circumstance. We have? Yeah. How? We've created through trade agreements with other metropolitan areas and other countries things that screw the farmer to hell. It happens. Um, I was delighted to hear on my trip across country this one guy say, I'm buying my farm back. Really? He says, yeah, the farm my parents sold to, can't say the brand name. But some big... There was a big company that shocked me that they even got to that level. (laughs) Really? They went out and bought farms? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that. But now he's able to buy his farm, the exact farm back. That's a unique opportunity. Because the trade agreements that were in place have been reversed. So it's no longer in their financial best interest to own the farm anymore. So because of the tariffs and the trade war, they couldn't export their farm, the soybeans or whatever it was. So that guy's going to be able to go back to being a farmer, where for the last 15, 20 years, he wasn't allowed to. Well, he was allowed to. He just couldn't afford to buy. Well, he couldn't buy in. Yeah. Um, so I think about that guy. But but see, but see he, you know, think about that guy because while... President Trump has increased tariffs through the trade war, right? Mm-hmm. Other you know, Democrats also have um, oh, supported it, tariffs as well. It's on both sides of the fence. And, and, and so if you believe in a free trade so that those farmers can have a fighting chance, then which candidate supports free trade? None of them. <laughs> So then, not, what do you then what do? You do? The, not at the moment. Not right. At the moment. So that's so the, it's the, a very dynamic situation. Yeah. What I'm saying is that the world is in a state of flux. Okay, it always is. Yeah, it's changed in 150 years. Oh my goodness! Yes. All right. So I'm trying to think: Do I walk away from this, or do I sit down and I look at it from a different perspective, and it will allow me to fill in a vote that I would have left blank if it was just to me. That's all I'm saying, John. But if you think about, I hear you, and I think it's good that you think about from your own perspective, but you also think of it from an empathetic perspective, walking in someone else's shoes, what might be good for them. But if still the choices that are put forward put uh, present policies that are damaging to those other people too. Then I'm back in the original situation. You just painted a picture where I'm going back to my preferences and my choices. But in, but if you look at it from your perspective, there are no good choices. Right. You look at it from their perspective, if you're thinking rationally, there mm-hmm. really are no good choices either. Then what do you do? They're in favor of them, as I found out. Hmm? They're in favor of them nine times out of ten. It's, it's the way they are going. If you look at the way they are thinking... We're going to go through another medical changeover in this country really quick here. I think it's going to happen with whoever makes it into the White House. This oh, like in terms of like a Medicare for all or a public yeah. option or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, I predict I, it. I don't know. That's probably which, likely going to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know which way it's going to go. 
I don't know whether Medicare for all, whether we can afford that. Well, the current system ain't working. I think most people would agree on that. Yeah. The current system is not working, but would a government one, what do they call it? One funder or something like that. But single payer. Single payer. Single payer. That's, yeah. that's what I was looking for. I'm not sure they're going to, we're going to probably be taxed the hell out of the structure. But the, and the counter argument is that while we would be taxed to hell, it would be still be less than what we're paying now. Is is it really going to? Is it a matter of size? Is that is that the financial expense? Is the, the, again, I don't agree with Medicare for all, but the the rationale is through a single payer, they'll have greater negotiating power to have uh, better rates. Um, through a government owned structure, they would be able to eliminate a lot of superfluous management and advertising costs and, and keep the administrative overhead very, very small. So what happens to the insurance companies right now that we have in place? They're, well, depending on who's elected, those insurance companies would be um, essentially made illegal. Um, they, people would lose money. And there are a lot of people that have policies with those insurance companies that they like. And some other people have a hard time believing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's definitely like unions that have fought damn hard for the policies they have, and they actually get tremendously generous benefits, and they don't want to walk away from they it. They don't want to walk away from that. And I also think of my farmer buddy. All right, I think about him because he doesn't have a big, huge hospital down the road from him. He's got to drive twenty five, thirty miles to the closest metropolitan area that'll get a hospital that'll service him. Right. All right. Yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting thing. But coming back to my point is um, I now understand why you said what you said. I wish you'd clarified it. I thought time. I did, but maybe I should have gone further with it. But just to be clear, when I fill out my ballot, I'm voting on 90% of the ballot um, items. Mm-hmm. There's just a few that I but would choose. But you have a restricted ballot because of the, what you, the way your filing status, your your registration status is. Correct. Okay. Yes. Okay. I got a Democratic ballot. Okay. All right. So I had a set of cards to deal with. Right. All right. I didn't have in a situation, I said, how can he possibly be recommending not to vote? Well, I don't know ballot? if I recommended that other people not vote. I just said but for me. Place. You, by having this podcast, you're an influencer. Yeah, I am. Isn't that great? <laughs> <laughs> but you got to influence them in the right direction. Well, don't, no, but, don't but, people, don't but I'm going to be honest. Not. I'm going to be yeah. honest about what I believe, and I'm going to explain what I believe. Maybe I didn't explain it as well as I could have. Yeah, because my takeaway was anger. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I, obviously, if you're a registered Democrat— well, let me, let me, all right. It, let me finish Good. my Registered thought. Registered Democrat. If, not, when I say if you are a registered, I didn't mean you, Pete Neal. Yeah. I mean in general. If, if a person is a registered Democrat, there's a very, 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 very high percentage chance that there's going to be at least one, maybe multiple candidates they'd be very happy and comfortable voting for. Mm-hmm. Um, I, since I'm no party preference, I'm... Who did you have? How many selections did you have? Well, I was able to um, – uh, th- did I, I – no, you know what it was? It was interesting because I went up to the um, 
to the uh, the precinct to vote, which, by the way, is St. Gabriel's Church, which is pretty far from here. It was kind of weird. Yeah. They moved it over there. And I, there's no line. I just walk right up to the table. I, was, I went to a Braxis. Okay, great. Okay. Did you have to wait in line? No. Yeah, which is some. That's why it's amazing. Ran into two of my neighbors. Yeah, which <laughs> yeah. is cool. <laughs> yeah, but that's why you, you see on television people waiting two hours in line to vote. It's just unbelievable. But anyways, um, uh, they said they said, "Oh yeah, your no party preference." And they, and they asked me, "Which ballot do you want? Do you want the the no party preference or the no party preference slash Democrat or the no party preference slash Libertarian or the low party preference slash Peace and Freedom?" which would have given me the ability to vote in each of any of those presidential races. And I said, well, I'm not in any of those parties. So I just want the no party preference period. And he looked at me like kind of strange. He goes, you don't want to vote for president. And I go, no, you know, because there was no one on the democratic ballot. I wanted, I couldn't vote in the Republican primary because they wouldn't give it to me. And even then, well, there was one guy I would have voted for. I would have voted for Bill Weld. Um, and then um, you know, on the libertarian, I, I have a previous libertarian party person for quite a while, but all the candidates there were either people that I didn't like or people I didn't know. And then the peace and freedom people, I, I had no idea who they were. So I figured I'm not going to vote in the primary because um, it is a party primary and I'm not in a party. And, and when it comes to the vote in November, I'm definitely voting because I will either vote for one of the people on the list or I will write someone in. One or the other. Okay. All right. So you, you've you clarified your position on not voting, which makes me smile. Okay. All right. Okay. And just to clarify for you, as I did during the campaign, I am a registered Democrat to piss my dad off. I remember you told me that. <laughs> okay. So I'm stuck with the we, Democratic. We, but you are the Jeffersonian Republican. I'm the Jeffersonian Republican. Yeah. And for those of you that are watching the podcast, I I would ask you go look it up. Do a Google search on Jeffersonian Republican and you'll find out who I am as far as a party that I can identify with. Mm-hmm. But I also want to, and I hope John will join me here and say, well, look, when it comes to an election, yes, vote your personal preference. Yes. Of course. If you cannot find somebody that satisfies your personal preference, then look at it from other points of view. But what if the other point of view then you violates back, your own principles? Then you've got then there's something there, okay, in that decision making process that enables you to make a preference that satisfies you to start off with. I see. I haven't been able to find that So you position. have no reason not to vote well, on any item? No. Well, on, on certain like, – like on the local issues, mm-hmm. um, I'm enthusiastically voting for what I like and who I like and right. measures I support or I don't support. Right. Um, but if I'm – So you're del- not going to join me in recommending your viewers that you should vote. I think you should vote. I think you should go it's a to duty the ballot. To vote, uh, duty. I won't go so far to say it in those terms, because a duty creates a, a responsibility. And I would suggest a little bit different that you, while you may say you have a, some would say a moral duty, moral responsibility to vote, 
you do not have a duty to choose between choices that are all bad. If they're all bad in some degree of bad, you have a duty to reject the whole thing and say, screw it. These, these options that are presented to me are all various levels of evil, and I will not participate in lifting those people up. And I think that in and of itself is a fulfillment of that same duty, because especially if they violate the inalienable rights <laughs> of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, you know, and if those if those uh, candidates violate that, then why in the heck would I support them? I don't think I've ever run across a situation where I was not able to find if somebody went through the time and expense of getting an item on a ballot. There's somebody there. For propositions, it's it's a little different because it's easy to say yes or no, right? Mm-hmm. So they take the effort to get it on the ballot. You can say, I support it or not. Mm-hmm. And I don't I can't recall a situation where I've not voted on a proposition. I always vote on those. So it's the individual you come down to. Because the individual is, you know, it's it's a choice of you know, various forms of, 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 of ugly, right? We should stop saying that. Because, I mean, now granted, I realize that some people really support President Trump. And there are other people that about really— 40, About 40%. Yes. And there are other people that strongly supported Hillary Clinton. I didn't— About su- 40%. And I did not like either of them. <laughs> You were the 20 percent. <laughs> yes. And, and so um, and for various reasons. Yeah. Um, and so but in that race in 2016, I voted for Gary Johnson. Now, Gary Johnson was not a perfect candidate by any stretch of the imagination, but he was very much philosophically aligned with where I am, even though he was a bit of a goofball. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I was OK voting for Gary Johnson. I could sleep at night. But if I had to vote for – if someone put a gun to my head and said, you got to vote for Trump or Hillary and that's – your life is on the line, it's like – it would be such a compromise of what I believe in. It would be hypocritical for me to support either of those candidates. It's interesting. The 20 percent in between the two 40 percent groups. Because those 20 percent will pick the lesser of evils. They'll go, <laughs> oh, the, the, you know, one of – this one really is bad. Right. So I'm going to pick this other one to keep the really bad guy out. All right. I have a very interesting experience with the whole Hillary Trump issue. A lot of people think I voted for Hillary. Because you're a hippie, man. You cut the long hair. (laughs) Because a lot of what she was running on is stuff that I agree with. Yeah. Yeah. I've lost a goodly number of friends who we are not in communication with anymore who were Trump supporters because they thought I was a Hillary supporter. I've never asked. They don't know. Interesting. They just made that assumption. Wow. So you talk about the division in the country. Oh, it's bad. Yeah. It's assumed. Yeah. In a lot of situations. Yeah. How do you know I didn't vote for Trump? How do you know? I could have. I could have been. This doesn't work either. Not neither way. Right. All right. I can assure you that I did vote. Well, it's, it's the question is, did I vote for me? 
Or was I so disgusted with both candidates that I voted for you instead? Mm. Okay. All right. So you now have made an assumption about the way I vote in Mm -hmm. your way of thinking, and you wish to no longer associate with me because you made that assumption. It's not on me. It's on them. Totally. It is. All right. So don't vote. I mean, vote. It's it's yeah. It's an obligation. I will vote. Now, you are going to receive heat no matter which direction you do oh, that. Of course. All right? Oh, yeah. You fired me up. Well, yeah. You didn't intend to, but no. you did. Okay. But, but, uh, but if yeah. I let you maintain that position without me firmly saying here, please vote to everybody, please vote. Yeah. All right. Then it's bad on me. You know, what's great about this and is— don't make your assumptions, okay, just because I'm a long-haired hippie guy. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're still being coy. You're not saying who you voted for, and, and I won't pry it from you if you don't want to share. Um, one of the things that we talked about before we got started here today is how in doing this podcast, I don't necessarily like to invite conflict, mm-hmm. but I enjoy when my guests have strong opinions mm-hmm. that may be different from my own. And we talk it through and we understand one another more deeply, which I think you have a better understanding of me. And I think I have a better understanding of you. We may still not come to terms and agree, Mm -hmm. but at least we can walk away with an understanding of it. And at the same time, we can still be friends. You know, we're not, we're respectful of what the other person, well, I think we're respectful (laughs) of the other person in terms of their position on the issue. But we won't let that get in the way. I just think you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, That's fine. If you think I'm wrong, I mean, I may be wrong. If if I've created a situation where the next ballot, you're sitting in that booth. Yeah. The consummate in privacy and security. Yeah. You got your pencil. Yes. You're about to put a mark on that page. Yes. If you walk away and leave it blank, I'll feel hurt. I'm sorry, but you will feel hurt in the future. <laughs> Damn it. Because uh, there are going to be cases like that. Yeah. Now, maybe what I could do to satisfy you and still remain true to myself is that if there is a name on there that I don't support, I will always write someone in. Okay. And, and I, can, I can do that. Like, like for example, um, for state assembly, we're in Assembly District 77. Mm-hmm. It was Brian Mainshine. And June Cutter, what was her last name? I can't recall. Yeah, I don't remember either. Um, she had a, a Chinese last name, if I recall. Um, I I don't necessarily support either candidate. I left it blank because I didn't know of an alternative to write in. Maybe I should have wrote in Pete Neild, N-E-I-L-D. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. Uh, um, in that no, race. That, no, no, I'm not going that No, high. I'm just, I'm joking with you on that. But, yeah. but I could have written someone in. Right. Um, and, uh, and I think to your point, I think that would have been maybe a better, I should have gone in with a game plan of who I would have written in. That's, that's. Because yeah. for president, I've done that before. Um, I've written someone in. Um, and, uh. In, in some of the more local races I could have. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fair point. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting November. Um, that's if 
um, the Democrat and their COVID-19 doesn't screw things up. Are you ready to blame them? <laughs> the Democrats for the for the uh, crisis that we have going on? I don't know. Yeah, this In is, which crisis? Yeah. <laughs> there, I mean, there's a million we can pick the from. COVID-19, the, the coronavirus. Oh, the coronavirus. Well, first of all, I don't think you can blame it at least the start of the situation on anyone other than looking at what Good. happened in Asia. Good. But, but I think president Trump has, I mean, did, did you see him on the news this morning? He was talking about how he knows as much about the, this uh, virus as the experts in the nation. This, this, and, and he also dismissed a lot of his, uh, I don't I may not be getting my facts right, but he dismissed a lot of his, is it like the, um, some of these different medical teams that would be in place to fight against these. He is just, he dismissed them a couple of years ago. You're thinking, well, that's not the right way to handle it from a leadership perspective and pointing your vice president, a political person as the point man. Um, that wasn't today, was it? As no, that was that. a few days back. Few days back. You, you got to put scientists on this and yeah. the scientists need to be the spokespeople. But it's, it, he's blaming the Democrats. Well, of course he is. You know, that's what he, that's what he does. Yeah. yeah. You know, really? it doesn't matter what the situation is. It's, it's Nancy Pelosi's fault. <laughs> and Chuck Schumer. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think I've covered all the points that I wanted to cover. Where, where are we time-wise? Do you ever keep track of it? Do you, you know, ever keep track of your podcast? I don't. Um, I should have a clock. And it would probably be but helpful would for be me. fixating. Yeah, but I, I just like to go as long as we feel like going. I like that. This is another point I wanted to talk to you about. Okay. <laughs> uh, I made a posting about the fact that California would like to go to daylight savings time permanently. On yeah, Facebook. yeah, yeah. I got a lot of hits. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a hot topic for people. Yeah. Now, it was interesting because I actually changed my clocks. In my house, okay, the day before. Right? Okay. Why? Because it was February 29th this year. We had a leap year. So you really went, I was leaning into a left hook there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I still got shortchanged with the amount of sleep I got. I still woke up nappy on Sunday. I slept in. Did you? Yeah, and then I looked at the clock and realized, oh, I guess I really didn't sleep in as much as I thought I did. <laughs> yeah, lost a clock. My patio clock is right again. Mm -hmm. That's That stays on daylight savings time. But you, you posed the question, you know, we voted yeah. to go to permanent daylight savings time, and that was at least two elections ago. Yep. And what happened? It's sitting. It's sitting, and apparently they've, I, the way that I understand it is they have to get the federal government to agree. And then the people – again, I may have my facts wrong well, on Right this. now it's sitting in the California Senate. Right. But they got to – hasn't gone to the feds yet. Right. But they got to be that, – that's the their guy, job is to deliver the will of the people, right? Right. right. They got to start fighting with the federal government. Our senators and congressmen need to force the issue. Yeah. And they said – Somebody said that it was 65%. It's not. It was 60% of this population. 59.75. That's a lot. That's, That's a like a 20-point spread. Yeah. Um, but I had heard someone else say that going to daylight savings time permanently 
is more difficult than just go, staying on standard time all year. Staying on standard time all year is what Arizona and Hawaii are doing. Okay. Because there is already a federal law allowing you to do that. Right. Okay. California is going to go on their own right now. And I think there's three or two or three other states that are thinking about doing the same thing. But we're the only ones with an actual passed by the voters. Yeah. AB7 uh, is the one that got passed by the assembly. So where we say we want to go. Right. Um, the hour ahead and keep it that way for the extra daylight. Now, I think from a store's point of view, this is a great move. The only downside is the kids are going to school in the dark in the morning. Yeah, that's that's a concern. So that's that's a major concern but for me. Didn't originally they they did a lot of this to appease farmers and during oh, harvesting yeah, that a, and yeah. that was a big part of it. That was a major part of it. And then they obviously want to have some form some version of consistency within each time zone. But back then that was to make the trains run on time. But now with technology, we can solve that. Yep. Um, so I think it is interesting because I, I made a snarky comment like, and we wonder why the voter turnout <laughs> is so low because uh, – That's why I wanted to bring it up. Because people will vote and they're like saying, what the hell? My, it doesn't matter. It doesn't you know, matter. Nothing happened. Now, there was another interesting time when this same situation occurred where the will of the people was de- – I think multiple times where the will of the voters was denied. Um, and I was happy it was denied. Uh, Prop 8, uh, oh, yeah. which was for gay marriage. That would have made gay marriage illegal constitutional amendment. It passed in the state of California, which is amazing. Right. Um, and then the, the the state Supreme Court said it was unconstitutional and the, the will of the people was denied. Um, and I think that's a was a good move. And because some people believe that democracy is sacrosanct, that if it, the will of the people should always rule, but sometimes it shouldn't. Sometimes we make the wrong move. But but sometimes also the there are are principles of which our society and culture are built upon that shouldn't change, you know. So if we believe in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, then that means that other people should have the liberty to marry whom they wish. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I was happy that that got overturned. There was another one that got overturned back in the early 90s, and I think it was Prop 196 or 194. It was the one where um, the people voted that illegal aliens wouldn't be eligible for state benefits. Like, oh, that, uh, I remember that one. It was, and this is back when the illegal alien thing really started heating up in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And it was they would be denied medical care. Uh, for free at an emergency room. They would be denied. Their children would be not denied an education. And then the people voted to deny them. Mm-hmm. And then that was overturned. Um, and I think that got overturned because they discovered it was not constitutional. Exactly. That's yeah. the reason. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. And I remember at the time I, I voted for it um, to deny um, but I've evolved, and now I am. I would have voted against it if the thing were on the ballot today. Yeah, it, it, you know. Unfortunately, we are the police force to the world mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. We, unfortunately, the British sense of entitlement 
has been passed to us, and we don't like it. All right. Again, bring this full circle to the beginning of this conversation. The British have a sense of entitlement because they damn near owned half the world at one point. The sun never set on the British flag, right? That's exactly right. And uh, we had to pick up the responsibility. In fact, we negotiated it primarily for economic reasons. It allowed our industrial base to have benefits around the world. All right. But unfortunately, when you take on the burden, you got to take on the burden of being the police force to the world for the places that aren't so well off too. Mm-hmm. Part of the problem, we have a massive problem with immigration on our southern border is because what's south of us is in the holy hell. Parts of that are certainly true. Yeah. There's, there's people that are leaving their homes because they're being threatened. Yeah, they want to escape persecution and violence. That's why you have the caravans. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All right. This is not some organization that goes out and stirs things up. This is the way it's happening. And if we had, we can either welcome them and support them when they're here. Or we can pour money into the country to make their life worth living down there. Which are we going to do? Because they don't have the money to do it with. All right. So the money comes out of our pockets regardless. I, in the form of defense, who was it? Got their hands stuck in the cookie jar sending military weapons down to Nicaragua. What was that was that? Ronald Reagan. That was, yeah, you brought him up in a that, podcast. Yeah, I did. Yeah, the last one, yeah. That was the Iran-Contra deal. So that's where we were doing what? Um, my understanding is is that – how the heck did that work? It was, a, it was a three-way deal where we gave money to Iran. Iran gave weapons to the Contras in Nicaragua, I think, because we couldn't give them the weapons directly. And that was during the Reagan administration. I hope I have my facts right. Yep. This is back like in the 1986 or so. And then Reagan said, oh, I wasn't aware of it. And what was that other guy's name? Uh, um, not Oliver Stone, but it was some, his name was Oliver, right? Lieutenant Oliver. Um, Military guy. Yeah. What was his first name? Oliver North. Oliver North. That's right. He was an <laughs> Oliver. Um, and I remember he was like right in the thick of all that. Yeah. Lieutenant Oliver North. Yeah. Got a good radio show, uh, TV show now. He's he's a commentator. On oh yeah, he's a very outspoken guy. Yeah. People love him or hate him. Yeah. Anyway, so that's my only point: is our our money is being tapped one way or the other. It is. Um, I'm of the belief that uh, the money that went to the Iran Contra to the money. That's our tax dollars. Yeah, right, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Right. This is why I often think that a great deal of the taxation we have is theft because look where it, how it's being used. Um, but I'm, I'm of the belief, like we talk about the, the, um, the immigrants and the caravans, a lot of those people are escaping violence and persecution because of the drug cartels. And so that's why I've always been for legalizing drugs. And, and granted, there is a downside to that, but the upside is far greater. Because um, we would eliminate a lot of the gangs and the um, the underground black market activity in America, we would um, cr- help 
minimize the violence in in south of the border and give them an opportunity to grow their economy and build more safety there? I think it would go a long way. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side of that coin is uh, we legalized marijuana in the state of California. Right? Mm-hmm. Still not legal federally. No, which is silly. Okay. I agree. Mm-hmm. Okay. But uh, you go back to the areas where before it was legal, the people who know how to grow marijuana or how to make marijuana, yeah. they're being under the thumb of corporate America now. They are, yeah. And large dollar corporations mm-hmm. are coming in and squishing that out. So my point is, we got to be careful what we vote for, all right? Because if we do pass the laws for legalized mm-hmm. drugs per se, aren't we feeding into the drug companies then another golden opportunity? I mean, they already well, got carried away. With I would argue. Drugs. I would argue that the the uh, pharma. I mean, this is an assumption it's of mine pharma. that the pharmaceutical companies like having a war on drugs because a whole category of competitive products are illegal and it gives them greater control over the legal market until they control it. Well, yeah, but but like look at like look what's happening with the the marijuana industry. I think that could evolve into something very similar to the craft beer industry. I I think there's hope for that. Yeah. I think there's real hope for that. I think right now until it gets passed federally, okay? What's happening in the drug industry, in the marijuana industry right now is the big dollar investment. People are investing huge amounts of money into that, buying out all these government-allowed permits and licenses to do things. Right. And I don't see the – I hate to say this, but it ain't going to be a nickel bag anymore, folks. No. (laughs) You know? Yeah, you're right. Um, But but then keep in mind, though, that because the government demands all of the licensing, you know, and those become very valuable and those licenses are purchased, the licenses also are used to protect themselves from competition because the unlicensed people are the ones that they can have a shakedown and they can send, you know, um, uh, you know, what, what's the, the, my favorite agency? The uh, Department of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms. <laughs> you know, they, they could send in some of these, you know, police state to shut them down. Yep. Um, so if we want to have a, um, a situation where we would encourage more entrepreneurship, encourage a craft beer like model, we should be diminishing those licenses. Mm-hmm. So corporate America can't get them all. Right. And lock everyone else out. Right. They should be very obtainable by Joe Q citizens. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. Now, and I don't think that'll happen until it's legal federally. So let, let, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot. Do you mind okay. if I do that? Because you were a previous candidate for Poway City Council. Yep. And I know you've been hinting about a future run. Yep. What's your position on um, uh, legal marijuana dispensaries in the city of Poway? I'm in favor of having a marijuana dispensary in the city of Poway, mm-hmm. um, up in the South Poway Industrial Park. Okay, that's reasonable. Yeah, 
I don't think it should be where the schools are. Right. Where the kids are going to school. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, as a matter of fact, that one thing that they call the penitentiary, I, I think that's a huge grow house. <laughs> nice. You know, Robin uh, Mueller does those uh, those drone flights, yeah. which I think he does a great job with, by the way. And uh, you, do you see all the sunlights on the, the ceiling there? Yeah. So that could be like a- Could be a great greenhouse. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a quick answer is I'm in favor of – I have a lot of friends who – Vietnam service era Mm -hmm. and a lot of kids from that generation that are suffering with PTSD. Yeah, yeah, that's real. I don't think they should go to Mira Mesa or Chula Vista to have to get their medical requirement. And people are going to laugh at me saying medical requirement. No, but that's legit. It's it's the only thing that's working. Well, and it's not just for PTSD, but there are cases of people with Parkinson's. Oh, yeah. There are other, like, children that have seizures. I'm where some of the from a personal basis. Oh, yeah. The personal basis is, uh, uh, yeah, PTSD is the number one. It is. Well, because, yeah, you, you're a veteran. I, I respect yeah. that. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I, I, you know, it, Any it, other it, issues on my run for... City Council District 1, which is where, as far as I'll ever go. Right. All right. I'm 70 this year. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's, and I'm going to be well, 72 you know, before I get a chance to do it again. We figure Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders are like 77, 78. Right. How old's President Trump? He's like 74. Is that right? Something like that. Something like that. So you still have a you know, some headroom to, to no. run for president. No. No, I... <laughs> I'm just joking with you. Yeah, no. um, but, uh, I, yeah, I, I think— I couldn't get your vote. Oh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I know you, and I like you. Okay, so maybe at, at the yeah, minimum I'll write you in. My name won't show up on your ballot. Oh, okay. But uh, um, I and I couldn't vote for you um, last election season because I live in District 3. Right. And you're in District 1. District 1. Um, so, yeah, and then— um, the incumbent, I think he said this was his last term. So it could potentially be an open seat. Could be. Yeah, but the people tend to change their mind on that sort of thing. Yep. Um, I'm running because I want to give this uh, same thing. <sighs> Neighborhoods need to have a voice. They do. Okay. I don't have any agenda. Never have, never will have mm-hmm. an agenda other than Calypso. There, folks, I mentioned her. <laughs> Leave it That's that. his Corvette. It's the most beautiful car in the world. Um, but, yeah, I don't have anything that I'm pushing. I'm, I'm done with that kind of stuff. All right. So what I want to do, though, is listen to the people, take a look at the evaluation. I mean, today, there was a thing I noticed on Facebook about the Van Damme Peak. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that existed. It existed in April before I ran last time around. I wish I'd known that because I spent a lot of my campaign time trying to find out what the neighborhood feeling, what the people felt about Van Dam Peak because it was at risk at that particular point in time. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, it went the right way, mm-hmm. so I don't have to worry. It's protected for a bit. Right. All right. But there's still a housing development that's we, being threatened. You, you 
did you show me those maps? Yeah, I because because the they had like the, there's a pond up there. Yep. And I know there's some mountain bikers that use it, and that's upsetting some people. And yep. I I need to go for a hike up there and just to explore it. Because take, take your video, okay? Do it. Do a podcast so I can watch it and live vicariously. Okay. Right. But rather than um, Virginia City in the background, I'll have, I don't know, Saber <laughs> Springs in the background or something, you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's of, of concern to me because, I mean, that's a large hunk of land that we ought to keep yeah, intact. I understand. Uh, Big Stone Lodge. Uh, I want that taken care of. What does that mean? That means a lot of different things to different people. Yeah. Um, I stood there. At the very well-attended meeting, by the way, I'm hoping that my Facebook post of the empty parking lot inspired some people. Yeah, I saw that post. But this was the workshop that they had like a week or so ago, right? Yeah. Um, But I don't want to – I heard – I stood up at the beginning. I was hoping to go first. You like to go first. Because I I wanted to just set the stage that we're – Growing around with Poway's history here, mm-hmm. all right, and I don't give a good goddamn one way or the other what they do with that park as long as they keep the focus on restoring some method of acknowledging Poway's history. Right. right. Some people want to rebuild the entire structure back to mm-hmm. you know, dance halls. Some people want to make it commercial, all right, but the commercial have to have signs on it. There's other people say, well. Take the roof off, put some signs up, keep the stone, okay, and just make it a park that way. All right. I heard all that. As a matter of fact, I put on the table that if that's as much as it is, is the stonework, at least put the concrete in so we can have some picnic areas. Right, there. right. All right. But it's the history to me that's important. I agree. That's that's fair. All right. How the people want to do it, I think the people in that neighborhood ought to have a big say. Mm-hmm. All right. How much of that becomes parking lot? All right. Well, to me, uh, I, I got reminded partway through that meeting that I didn't drive a car in those days. The days I used to travel Pomerado Road back and up forth to work, I was on my motorcycle. Ah, uh, that's right. When you went to Kearney Mesa to work. Yeah. I mean, when I pulled into the Big Stone Lodge, it was... Sideways, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like, throw the kickstand down. Yeah, and, like Steve McQueen, man, yeah. just rolling in. So, yeah, Pomerado. I never experienced it in the car. I don't think it was. But I think that whole area is a floodplain, so yeah. that limits their options. Yeah, but you know, I even went up. I said, "Look, I'd be interested in sitting up and getting organized in this." And then I had second thoughts after the meeting was over, and I got home. And I said, "No." There you are, sticking your foot into the middle of things. This is not you. But if it's something you believe in, you know. Oh, look, I believe in the maintaining the history. Yeah. I started this thing off. These are mem- people's memories here. But I think it, my understanding, I wasn't at the meeting, but yeah. my understanding is, is that everyone wants to preserve the history in some form Overwhelming response. Yeah, there's there's like nobody that wants to wipe it off the face of the earth. Even the people that were pushing for putting um, that veterans housing project there probably still want to at least acknowledge the history, I think. That was the big fear is that they weren't going to. But the overwhelming response from the people that I saw there was 
maintain it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's important to maintain yeah. the history. We're talking about ancestry, right? We'll see how that so, gets translated mm-hmm. from city management to the city council. We'll, we'll see how that transition goes. But I'll be watching it. My guess is, is they'll make a decision on that and we'll be going down a course before the 2022 election. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this this is going to happen before 2020. Yeah, one way or the other. Right. Yeah. I think I haven't ventured down the path enough yet to know what the issues are going to be. It's looking too far into the future. Right. We're going to be wrestling with the outfall of the outpost. True. At election time. Right. I think that's what's. We'll probably still be in the middle of construction on the rest of Poway Road. Yeah. And there'll be other parts of Poway Road that are slated for construction but will have not yet begun. Not yet have started. Yeah, but some will be underway and hopefully the outpost is done. Yeah. Um, but I think it's great that you're running again because you love the city. You believe in what the city's about. You support the history. Yep. But you also – want to be a representative of the people. That's, it's not like you've got your own agenda no. rolling in. You want to do this and that. It's you just want to reflect what the people in District 1 want. I'm finding, like I said, if I can find and define the neighborhood things on multi-level. I mean, there's a Facebook group. I brought it up as an example. I discovered that's concerned with the Van Dam Peak. Right. Then I got the people who live next to the Van Damme Peak. That's another another neighborhood, another yeah. level of people who may or may not be Facebook members. All right. If I can get all these different groups and I can be the organizer for that input and the communicator mm-hmm. in District 1, so-and-so says this, so-and-so says this, what do you think? You guys are going to be at loggerheads over this issue. Let's talk it out and figure out what we're going to do. We can solve that on the district basis. Then I can go in to the city council meetings and say, this is how District 1 feels about that, yes or no. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, that's Bottom beautiful. Line. Yeah, that's a very purest way of uh, being a representative. And I think that's very yeah. noble. That's the way it's got to be. Have you been on nextdoor.com? Oh, yeah. So I, I haven't dabbled much there, but I know that gets real, very micro-neighborhood oriented. Yep. To uh, I, I read everything that I can that... I've checked off in next door all the neighborhoods that are around District 1. Yeah, I was going to say there must be multiple next door neighborhoods that feed into District 1. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. How do you use those too? They did a good job. They yeah. broke it up pretty well. But I, I still found a couple of places where they made a neighborhood of this one group. And no, there there's actually three separate yeah. schools of thought coming from what you've labeled as one. Makes you wonder how they decided how they drew the lines. Um, but It looked to me to be strictly geographic. Yeah. But sometimes there are re- important reasons why the line needs to be in a certain spot. Oh, Powers Road is a classic example. Yeah. Next to Pomerado Road. Yeah. Powers Road is one of the, and it mm-hmm. runs the length all the way. Yeah, the, like Frame is another one of them, right? Yep. I know. They run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was... The big development in, I think it was the 60s, 50s and 60s is when that all got developed Uh, because that existed when I visited uh, in the later 60s. -hmm. They were already established homes. But, yeah, when you talk to the people, (laughs) 
about what the issues are, I'm amazed at how that evolves the further south you get. On Powers Road. Really? Oh, yeah. There's a very definite school of thought up around Abraxas about what the issues are compared to at the southern end. Like, give me an example of how they might be different. I can't right now. But, they're, but they are distinct. They are distinct. That's very interesting. But it, does, it, it doesn't surprise me because no. there, there are different schools of thought on certain issues, different schools of thought amongst South Poway mm-hmm. versus Central versus Northern Poway. You've got the big issues and then you get the little minor little issues. Uh-huh. Right. Well, maybe the people that are close to Abraxas may have Abraxas-specific concerns. It wasn't Abraxas. Something else. Oh, interesting. Okay. Maybe it's that uh, soccer field. Believe it or not, it was oranges. Oranges? Really? Yeah. Like some orange grove or something? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But I was amazed at the number of people who were concerned about it. Well, I'm, I'm you know, we're getting into the 2020 season. I've already had one candidate from 2020 that's been on, um, Chris Olps. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. I know Phil Factor has said he wants to come on at some point. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that as we get into the summer. Every time I see him, I remind him. Oh, you do? Yeah. Good. So I'm hoping, you know, and I'll say it again, uh, every political candidate is has an open invitation to join us on this podcast. And I just let them tell their story in long form, which they'll never have an opportunity to do in a little newspaper quote or, you know, a, a, a debate where they get 60 seconds. And we'll talk and we'll discuss the issues. And I'm going to be generally pretty neutral as I engage with them just so they can get their message out. Okay. I'm with you 100%. Thank you very much for allowing me to come in and talk about ancestry. (laughs) We went off on a crazy tangent. No, but look. This is good. I said at the beginning, this can be approach from a number of different directors. Oh, for the ancestry piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (coughs) And all the topics we discussed. There are implications from ancestry, my ancestry, that's reflected in how I feel about politics in Poway. Right. You not make the connection there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was a connected podcast. Mm -hmm. I mean, granted... It looks like the west branch of the Feather River. We wandered around quite a bit from yeah, we beginning did. to end. Yes, we did. But it's there. There is a connection. There is. Uh, I'm a function of a guy, uh, nature and nurture. I rebelled against my dad. Mm-hmm. Was I rebe- rebelling against the nature or was I rebelling against the nurture? I was rebelling against the nurture. Yeah, okay, that that makes me, that would seem more likely. But I'm a function of the nature. Yes, you are. Yeah. Right? Both have influence. When my mom said no, <laughs> I paid attention. Right, you did. All right. And you love your mom. You've talked about her a lot on this yep. podcast. I love my dad too, but yeah. for different reasons. Right. All right. I mean, I was very upset with the fact that for 10 years he and I didn't talk. Yeah, that's got to be tough. It, it was very hard. But finally he said, yeah, we met partway. And so we it took us a summer to get back on the same wavelength. I had to give him a big – he brought me a lawn tractor. 
<laughs> so I had to listen to him for a while. But yeah, we he mended the bridge really nice. It wasn't the lawn tractor. It was the mechanism of the lawn tractor that started the discussions. Hmm. So... Well, whatever it took to break the ice and and begin to reheal. Yeah, yeah. I had I had uh, believe it or not, despite the fact I got long hair and a beard now, I do have principles. Oh, I know you do. All right. So I was sticking firm to my principles, and he was sticking firm to his principles, and they didn't meet up. But still, it's like we we said earlier. You can have a disagreement, mm-hmm. but you can still be friends. You can still love one another. But it, it's I hard think, sometimes. I don't think. I don't think we ever fell out of love. We're just two stubborn <laughs> men, right? Who are not willing to give in to the other. Yeah, I I can see that in you. Right. You're a strong-willed person. I, when I get, when I got, I'm seventy now. I'm I'm realizing the error that would never have manifested itself if I'd handled it differently. Mm-hmm. All right. If I'd handled the situation differently, more diplomatic rather than a line in the sand, you know, I made a line in the sand. And that was the problem. If I'd been more diplomatic and extended my hand and say, look, this is the way I see things, we probably wouldn't maintain our communication quite well. But I made an issue out of it. So I had to pay the price. It's a diplomacy. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Pete, I, I enjoy this. This is always good. Man, when you come on, you have you you come with planned, you, you have stuff to share, and your ancestry story is wonderful. You know, we learned about the Irish English. We learned about your traveling ancestors in the South Pacific. Um, Isn't that amazing? It, it's incredible. It but just blew me away when I discovered it. I mean, yeah, from almost 200 years ago, like how they traveled then. I mean, these are real adventure seekers. Um, and then we we learn about, you know, we talk about Irish culture, English culture, and and um, gosh, we got into all sorts of other things, nature, nurture, free will, and wow. I, I burst a bubble for a lot of people in the family because for a long time, everybody was convinced we were related to Jesse James. Mm. No, we were not. I can categorically say we were not related to Jesse James. Our relationship with the James family that mm-hmm. they think we're related to was after he was dead and gone. Yeah. <laughs> the connection was made afterwards. So. I just watched a documentary on Jesse James. Yeah. Um, so he was a Southerner. He was from Missouri. Kind of an old yeah. old Johnny Reb yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. It is, it's fun to research your history. It's incredible. It, it really is. You just learn so much, um, especially when you can go to to the places and walk in their footsteps. It's become oh man, that's that's huge. That's what I, when I went to Butte, it was very moving for me. That's something that I pushed onto my sons though. <laughs> yeah. All right. We identified the house where my dad was born. Mm-hmm. All right, and. Uh, Nick was over touring around Europe at the time. And so I told him, I said, get a picture taken of you standing in front of this house. Nice. Did he do it? Yeah. Awesome. I got a picture of him standing in front of number 10. So, yeah. That's the house your grandfather. Really? I mean, he got something out of it because he knew my grandfather for all of um, 
He passed away in 95. Nick was about two. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. His only memory is a big fear of the guy with the sick pipe. Yeah. With a thick pipe? With a, yeah, a big pipe. Oh, a real he pipe? smoked a pipe. Was your, was your father tall like you? A little bitty guy. English. Really? Yeah. My size, it's probably from the moat, man. <laughs> <laughs> no. My my mother, the Canadian infant, we're big people. But I am the biggest. Okay. That uh, came out of that whole family. But they are big guys. Right on. All of them. Um but yeah, I stretched the cast a little bit. Um, there were, I hope that I brought through the one point about entitlement well enough, the English sense of entitlement. I had places in these letters that I was going to bring out and say that the wording that they use is being used in the context that this was something that they Mm-hmm. Belong to them. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I don't know if I labored that point. No, but well I think enough. you did. I, I think just to expand on it, you can see that in the you know how we got into you know say slavery in North America, a sense of entitlement of being the higher race, as it were. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you, it's interesting. You talk about the and again, these are v- sweeping broad brushes. But the English as takers and the Irish as givers is what you said. And I've noticed, at least in my family, um, the Irish largely being Irish Catholics, mm-hmm. um, definitely a lot of giving, which is kind of built into the culture, built into the religion, kind of the the Catholic guilt. Um, you know, some of oh, yeah. the, you know, the, the altruism very deeply embedded into that culture. Lots of giving. Yeah. Um, and and then, yeah, you look at Irish stereotypically when they came to America, they were always working hard, at, you know, policemen and bartenders and all the different stereotypical uh, positions they held. Um, but, yeah, speaking for my family, yeah, working in the mines. And then I look at in a more modern day context of my family in this in the San Francisco area, n- you know, none of them were like entitled and living on bankrolls of cash. They were all hustling. Didn't didn't present to you in your upbringing the feeling that, that of course this is yours. You didn't grow up with that sense, that no. nurturing sense. No, it was you, whatever you had. You had to, you had you to had, earn it. You had to earn it, no doubt. Um, and you, you know how many times I was told by my parents, "You have to know your place." Mm, it came yeah. up frequently. Okay, so that's stratification, right? Yeah. You have to know your place. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Yeah. I'm an American. <laughs> I have no place. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's it, cultural too. Yeah. Cultural. I, I can see that. And I never really thought of it within the terms of English society and knowing your place, but yeah. That I, I get it. And yeah, when, the, when your speech, when you, when what you put down in writing reflects the way you were raised, and you put it in writing, that's pervasive. It's, yes, it's overwhelming. Well, that's what. Yeah, the the letter, you know, the talking about the heathens. Mm-hmm. 
Over here, this form of justice where they punish the first person they see if they can't catch the offender seems as fair as any Christian country. But how in the hell we got out of that, I'm not really sure. So lesson learned ever since then, I have tried to be nice to everyone I see. That's the the Americanized translation yes. that you made. Yeah. Yeah. But you, <laughs> you want to give an attempt at fix? <laughs> yeah. He's talking about, uh, I almost got killed. The natives, eh, they can't find the actual offender in a crime will punish anyone they come across that even looks like the one who has actually committed the crime. So if they're going to kill me and my two partners just because we are white, Apparently, a woman in their tribe got shot and killed by a few white guys who had split after the murder. Along we came, and we were to be punished for the crime according to their laws. So, that, It's interesting. is That showcases that um, racism exists in lots of cultures around the world. And then in some ways, it's, it's kind of the way humans are wired to be tribal. But it's only through education— philosophy, building societies with strong principles and morals that we can evolve beyond that racism. Mm -hmm. But if we're left at our native level, we see things as tribes, groups, colors of skin. It's interesting. And we, in many ways we haven't gotten over it. 1847. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, go back further in time. It's probably even more pervasive. Nicaragua. Marquesas Islands, Island of Opal. And I'm going to look that up on a map now. <laughs> God, I should have brought it. All right. Well, Pete, thanks, man. Thanks for coming. All right. Always Again. a pleasure. Uh, when's the next one? The next what? Next time you're here? Yeah. Let, let's we'll schedule it. Let's do it. What do you want to talk? When? What do you want to talk? Oh, what do I want to discuss? Yeah. We can go in a million different directions. All right. Are you going to make me wait until District 1 is on the table? No, of course not. Okay. No. No. So what, what I often will do is kind of when I'm building these podcasts, I solicit um, guests. I have some guests like you that are – we have a relationship where you can say, hey, I've got a topic. Right. And you approach me. And that's great. I love that. I, please do. If you have an idea of something, bring it forward. And I, I, I say this to the rest of the audience. If, you, if, you, if anyone else has an, a topic they think is compelling, contact me. Yeah. And um, sometimes, though, I, I'm not really – I don't have any guests lined up. And so I figure out something I want to talk about, which I did the Super Tuesday wrap-up, right? Yeah. And I like doing that, but I prefer to have guests. Because then we get all these interesting things to learn about and discover and explore. And then it creates all these little tangential little stories and we have fun with it. Um, So if you've, I'll tell you what, if you've got a topic you want to discuss, let me know. And if I've got a topic maybe that I'm dabbling with, but I'm not sure, maybe I'll reach out to you and say, hey, what do you think of this? Mm -hmm. Do you want to maybe schedule that as an episode? And we'll just do it. All right. Cool. 